Guitarathon is the greatest guitar sale on earth, and it's happening now. Get massive savings on a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars, basses, amps, pedals, and other accessories. Get select Ernie Ball strings, three for ten. Save $100 on a Fender Special Edition Strat, or get a Yamaha acoustic for just $199. Plus, get special financing on select major brands. Don't miss these incredible deals. Available online and in store now through November 1st. Guitarathon, only at Guitar Center. Find your sound. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are locked on Cavaliers. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast. I'm, as always, I'm your host, Chris Manning from ThroughTheSword.com. Today, we're going to do a little mailbag. You guys are awesome enough to send in some great questions. Also, going to have an interview with Canton Charge coach Nate Ryan King at the end of the show that just kind of wraps up the cat the Charge season. Uh, you'll get some insight there on the Larry Sanders situation, the K, uh, K Feathers development, on what he thinks of Walter Tavares, who he pointed out to me. Uh, actually, uh, Co- uh, Walter Tavares played for the Charge last year for a little bit, so kind of a small little world there, a little world there with the Cavs and, and Walter Tavares. Also, Cavs Raptors game two is tonight. Uh, Cavs go into this game uh, coming off that one sixteen to one hundred five victory. Tip is again at seven p.m. on TNT. Um, you can you can definitely. Enjoy that game. It should be pretty interesting. The Cavs should be, again be favored since game. We'll see what kind of tweaks Toronto does make. Um, we'll, we'll hear more about that. You can make sure you hear more about that. I'll be at the game covering the game for Fear the Sword. Uh, you can find you know my tweets on the game and all that at CWM Rights. Uh, little note before we get into this. Uh, the Celtics and the Wizards played an incredible game last night. And just want to hit a couple things on this. Um, I just want to point out that Isaiah Thomas and John Wall were both very, very good in this game. Both incredible uh, Isaiah especially so I know some of you a couple of you I tweeted with about this um, are a little annoyed uh, at Isaiah and kind of dismissive uh, to be frank about what he can do against the Cavs I certainly think the Cavs are better equipped to deal with him than, than maybe Washington and I think the Cavs are better certainly equipped to attack him um, when he's on defense because Stevens has done a very very good job of kind of hiding Isaiah so far during these playoffs, but the Cavs are going to hunt him down in the pick and roll. That's certainly true. I don't, and look, some of you were like, oh, like the Cavs will will be these teams. And I don't think either of those two teams really does have shown enough with how the Cavs have looked to really make me think they're going to push the Cavs. I I think I'm almost less um, convinced now than I was, you know, you know, three weeks ago or, or whatever the season ended that any of these teams are actually going to push the Cavs in a meaningful way. I still, Toronto is probably still the best team on paper to do so, and we saw how Game 1 went and just saw how that all sort of worked, although um, 
I think the Raptors do have some some tweaks they can make that'll help. But I think there are aspects of those two teams that can certainly make the Cavs uncomfortable. And and when I say something like the Cavs switching onto Isaiah, even though they'll probably trap him a lot, um, and having TT or LeBron defend him, I just think that'll be fascinating because he's so fast. He's incredible, um, and look, Isaiah's really good. You guys just kind of have to realize that. I get he knows you because he plays for Boston and everything like that, but you have to appreciate a guy who's just doing that, who is that small, who is just just he's been incredible. He's been incredible all year, and I was a I was a doubter of of him. You, I've said this on the show. Sean Woodley and I talk about this. I feel like I've said this on a lot of shows that I was concerned about his height and and how they're going to do with really him being the one creator. He's he's responded. They have a top-four offense in the playoffs, and Isaiah's been incredible, and I think you just have to accept that. You can certainly root against him. It's your prerogative. You can certainly kind of dismiss him. That's your prerogative, too, but that guy's incredible, and I think at the very least he'll, he'll have a, a game or two or, or series against the Cavs that, that's pretty remarkable. That guy is just awesome at basketball, and I, and I think you just kind of got to realize that um, he's really good guys like he's really really good rated up metrically better than Kyrie this year the guy is a, a mini zippier James Harden the guy's awesome just enjoy it you're, you're gonna have more fun when you just enjoy guys like that anyway I'll get into today's mailbag questions uh, first comes from friend of the pod New York Rick um, from the MMA hour he has Dante's dunk fair or foul definitely fair look uh, the the jawing was super funny at the end of the game when he gets the, the ejection that kind of was started because it was dunk 100% fair uh, Dante Dante's dunk is fine <laughs> LeBron's going to pay that fine if you didn't see that so yeah that's that's totally fair uh, Dante that that was just it, it's very, that was to me more telling than anything that the Cavs just don't take the Raptors seriously that they're just engaging in these sort of petty arguments late in the game like that um, so yeah, that's totally fair. Kind of funny, to be honest with you. Um, and it adds another layer of the, the Dante Raptors beef. Two years in a row, he's been fine playing that team. Uh, next question comes from James Watson. He has hindsight 2020. Who would be a better contract player for the Cavs going forward? Delhi at four years, $38 million, or Shum's four years and $40 million? Um, Tough question to answer. Delhi would fill that back a point guard role sort of nicely. Shumpert gives you wing depth, and, and I think has played really, really well so far. I think what Shumpert does at his best is probably more valuable than what Delhi does at his best. I think what Delhi does has it certainly has its value. I think it's certainly um, something worth having, but it's really only maximized in certain situations. Shumpert as you've heard me say in the show, I think has his, his ups and downs. He's in he, his comments after games have sort of hinted at a guy who wants to do more, but when he's playing like he is now, he's playing very within himself, um, focused on defense, just kind of doing the little stuff. And then just doing stuff like yamming on Serge Ibaka. I, I think that has a lot of value. He's defending a couple positions. Um, he's shooting. Okay. And he's just kind of getting out of the way. I think that just cause, and cause of his size and everything like that, I think he's, probably more valuable and that two million dollars isn't a huge difference so that is that's sort of the thing i think i think shumper just as a in a vacuum a three and d guy like that who's a little who can defend legit defend threes and whatnot is probably a little bit more valuable than uh something like a a backup one who's functionally a two and kind of needs to have a be around other ball dominant guys to really um be at his best 
because Delhi, I mean, he had, a, I guess, an okay year with the Bucks, but it's clear that he sort of really benefited from playing with LeBron. And I think if you're – certainly you need to be a better team, I think, to maximize Shump, but I think there are instances where you could, could really, really maximize him if you have the right situation. So I'd say he's more valuable. And I, I don't know exactly how close it is. And I'm not sure how good either guy, you know, it really actually is. But I think just Shumpert's, you know, functional skill set, uh, if you can apply it in the right ways, is is more valuable, especially on a, on that contract. And you have him under control for a couple more years. Uh, next question comes via email from Carmine Soma. Do you think Lou will ever use some playoffs on a gigantic lineup with LeBron at the point with Corver, Derek Williams, Jefferson, Fry, and Love? Well, that's six guys. So, can't do that, but some version of that. Let's say, too many bad defenders, he asked. What's wrong with Kyrie's three-point shot as well, he asked. It was all versus Indiana. He also had some uh, terrible ball game moments in the series. Lou should address that as well. So, let's start with the first thing. You're not going to see Derek Williams. You are not going to see Derek Williams. Um, you're just not, guys. Not going to play. Just don't expect to ever see him play. I think that type of lineup you've seen versions of it um we saw it right when Corver signed you've seen the the fry and love pairing you didn't see in game one but we against toronto but you did see it you know in uh, parts of that indiana series i think you could see something like that i think it would probably be lebron Corver, jefferson fry and love i think schumberg kind of would qualify there as well because he's you know six four six five I think you you definitely could have stuff like that. You could do the six six and above. Um, the tr- the problem there, it sort of just depends on what kind of lineups Toronto is using. Um, if the Cavs go really big in that situation, LeBron's the point, so he's defending Lowry. I don't know if you want that necessarily. Um, I think you could do it, but do you like just want to have him expending energy in that way? Uh, that means Jefferson's having Defender Rosen, probably, if that's who's in the game. And then um, you're putting Corver on Powell, which you could probably handle, although Powell's pretty aggressive. And it sort of depends on what uh, Toronto has up front, too. Like, are they going to go, you know, are they going smaller? Like, what are, they, what are they sort of doing? I think you're more likely to see the Cavs go the other way and just have LeBron at the five as, instead of LeBron at the point. Um, I think they like playing Darren Williams, and we haven't seen Jefferson yet, in, you know, in two, three games now, so... I think it's possible you see that lineup. I kind of be intrigued by it, but anyway. Um, and then Kyrie, as for Kyrie's three point shot, I think it's fine. He played really well in game one. Um, Kyrie, in terms of ball hogging, it, it's sort of he's going to do that. That's just kind of Kyrie's game. I think you could argue, I think fairly, he needs to move the ball more side to side and and be more proactive. I thought in game one he did a really really good job of of hitting that hitting the open guy and creating opportunities for others in a way that makes him more dynamic and more valuable. Um, and I, and I think Lou sort of knows that to an extent, but also, like, it's Kyrie. He's going to get buckets. That's what he does. And you kind of just got to live with it sometimes. But uh, game one Kyrie is a, is a pretty good version of Kyrie Irving. Uh, next question comes from Douglas Phillip. He, he asks, do the Cavs hope their elite offense will override their defensive issues? I think to an extent – but I don't think they just think that their offense is going to solve everything. Um, I think you talk about them wanting to get better on defense. I know I wouldn't say that you know game one was a great defensive performance for the Cavs, but you know you saw them work pretty hard. You saw them rotate pretty hard. You saw them have a good strategy in place in terms of just really trapping DeRozan and, and making 
all these other guys beat them. I think that's definitely how this team is going to work. Um, I think they know they have to hit a certain level of defense in order to win. I think they understand that their offense is great. I don't think they're... Um, I don't think any team should go into a finals, and I don't think the I think the Cavs are on this page that they they they're not going to go into a finals against the Warriors trying to outgun the Warriors. That's just not what they're going to do by any metric. The Warriors are just absurd on offense. You get offensive rating and and just individual ratings and just just flat out points. Um, those guys are are incredible. So I think they know they have to get their defense good. I think they certainly are going to have their offense be better. I think you're seeing defensive differences from last year. They're doing things against Toronto differently. They're not having love out as much anymore. They're kind of um, trapping more. And we'll see where this gets them. They're definitely trying to rotate more. Um, but I think you're seeing them work on defense. I think they're going to have moments where it's bad. And I think it certainly doesn't necessarily look great when you just have guys getting open shots. But the Cavs giving t- P.J. Tucker, Serge Ibaka, Norman Powell, uh, even Kyle Lowry to an extent because they're really focusing in on DeRozan. Those guys are getting open shots by design of the Cavs' defense. Not always a great strategy. Could certainly burn you, but I think they are trying to improve my defense, and I think to an extent they have over the last three games. And we'll see how game two looks. We'll see how they look when they go to Toronto. We'll see how they look, assuming they get to the Eastern Conference Finals. There's still some certainly a lot to learn about the Cavs' defense. Um, but I wouldn't say they're just banking on the offense, kind of overwhelming it. Um, and the last question comes from the Sports Guy 23 on Reddit. He asks, Cavs defensive turnaround effort and game plan, or part also part Raptors one-on-one scoreless stretches? So uh, this is, a, of course, a little bit like uh, the other question that was just asked, but I think the, the what, I'll, what I'll add is I think effort matters. I think the scheme matters I do think the Cavs are going to have some success because Toronto isn't you know purely isolation heavy but they're going to do a lot of one-on-one attacking um and, and trying to break down things in a, in a more simple manner they don't they're going to let PJ Tucker shoot uh you know Lowry and DeRozan they both had uh, kind of up and down games Lowry I thought was better overall than I maybe thought after kind of just re-watching parts of it but he definitely I think struggled in the second half I think the the scoreless stretches are, are kind of Toronto's fault, but I think the Cavs are getting a little bit better on defense. We'll see if they can have another good defensive performance, um, you know, on, on in Game Two, on, on later today on Wednesday, and that'll that'll be sort of telling. But I do think um, it's effort, it's game plan, it's kind of a bit of everything. It's never just one thing, you know. I'm not, I'm a big believer that it's almost never just one little thing that's going to fix something. I th- I think. Even if it's a small problem, you're going to have little minor things that all sort of contribute to that problem. Um, like, you know, if you look at weight loss, like weight loss, you don't, you don't just eat well, you don't just exercise, you do both. Um, if you're the Cavs' defense, it's effort, it's focus, it's game planning, and it, and it's just doing all the little things sort of correct. So uh, how they've looked, it's a, it's a combination of all those things. When, when you get engaged in LeBron, sort of this engaged mobile on a swivel kind of roamer um your defense is going to get better and i and i think it can could still get better even because i don't think it was you know locked down by any means um in game one so that's it for today's questions thanks again for everyone who dropped them and we'll do another mailbag soon maybe not next week uh depending on game schedule and how long the series goes but 
certainly again um, in the near future. So drop those questions on Reddit. I'll put up another post. I'll share that pretty repeatedly. You can drop them always via email to lockdowncavs at gmail.com and to lockdowncavs on Twitter. You can send them to the Facebook page as well, which you can find us by just searching Lockdown Cavs. So uh, now you hear my interview with Chan King Charge Coach Nate Ryan King. Great guy, really nice guy. Um, again, inside on Felder Tavares. And I think it's a good kind of look at, at what a D-League coach kind of goes through. Talks about Quinn Cook and his work with Great Britain's uh, national team as well. So uh, you'll hear that. It's on a phone, so it won't be quite as, as clean as this audio. So I apologize for that. Still kind of figuring uh, some of that out when I have to do stuff on the go. But enjoy Cavs Raptors game two tonight, 7 p.m. on TNT. I will be there. I'll have a recap show up for you first thing Thursday morning. Thanks again for listening. This has been Locked on Cavaliers. Go give us those five-star ratings and reviews as well. All you have to do is something simple like this um, from new DL84. Solid Cavs info. He gives us a five-star rating. And this podcast, he says, or she, could be anybody, don't know your gender, this podcast provides solid daily Cavs info. Great to give insight on the season thus far. That's all you got to do. Uh, so thanks to for that review. Please go give us those ratings and reviews. It's going to help other people find the podcast. And I appreciate you guys just being uh, around all season. We're almost 170 episodes in, which is crazy to think about that we're, we're already here. Uh, but here's Nate Ryan King and myself just talking about the Canton Charge, K Father. Walter Tavares, again, be back tomorrow after Cavs-Raptors Game 2. Daddy, where do babies come from? Uh, well, uh... Honey? Mommy went to the store. Oh, well, you see, um... Well, there's a mommy and a daddy, right? Right. And see, when they call Geico, uh, they could save a bunch of money on car insurance. Oh, really? And that makes them happy? Yes, that makes them very happy. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could have this talk, Sunshine. <laughs> Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. See you on the other side. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah, so um, the first thing I just kind of wanted to ask was, you looking looking back at your playoff series against Raptors 905, what do you think separated them from you in that series? What was what made what made them just such a, a tough opponent for you guys? Um, well, before the series, you know, we dropped three games. We qualified with Maine against. Uh, you know, we won our, the last game we won it against Maine. We qualified for the playoff playoffs. Mm-hmm. Do that, and then we dropped three games in a row. And I think coming into that series, we weren't really in a good place. And, you know, you try and say it's a new season, but you you want to go into that playoffs feeling good about yourself and in a good place. And uh, I think that's where, you know, we just didn't come with with an edge or a good feeling going into there, dropping those games in a row. Um, But Toronto was consistent all year. I mean, Mm -hmm. When you have Tavares in the paint, um, you know, they get off to very good starts. And I thought that first game, um, you know, we won the, the, the three quarters after the first period. Right. By a, by a nice margin, they just smacked us in the first quarter. Uh, and we didn't recover. So, all the way, I mean, we got to there in the, in the fourth, and then, uh, you know, we just couldn't hang on. Um, and then it's always tough to go 
And both teams, you know, were missing guys that they maybe had played with before. But do you think, I mean, how much do you think that impacted you, some of the roster adjustments you had to make late in the year? At the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, you just, I mean, you didn't have everyone that I think you necessarily had for the whole season. Is that something that impacts you as well, that you're just missing a guy like Quinn um, and stuff like that? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's how the league goes. I mean, every team has to adjust that way. Um, It did, I mean, we lost Quinn, who was our starting PG, which was a, a big piece for us. And then, like I said, the, the, the last three games, Felder was recalled by the Cavs. Um, you know, Jordan Crawford and Mike Williams did a nice job for us, um, stepping in for those shoes. But when you don't have those type of guys and you don't, you're mixing rotations in the giant cover for missing pieces and parts, you kind of lose your way. For a quarter or two, you lose your way trying to figure it out, and that's all that matters in, in a quick series like that. And this was your first full year at the helm um, of the Charger, Mr. First Year's head coach. What was that like for you, and was there anything particular that surprised you about about running a team for a full year? Um, surprised me just it's more not the basketball side of it, it's managing the people. Um, you know, my staff, and then, you know, the guys coming in and coming out. Um, your team is always interchanging, so you're trying to keep, you know, guys on the same page and, and feeling good about themselves. With, and, and those guys usually do that by if they're getting minutes and playing. So balancing, you know, everybody's desires at once and trying to keep it on the on the your goal of winning games at the same time, uh, that was the most challenging for me. Is that is that harder, too, when you have guys, like, I, you'll know, you know, let's, you find out the day of or the day before that a K. Felder is coming down or that a Larry Sanders is going to be assigned or that you're getting Quinn back. Does that complicate that process? It does, but, you know, I've been in the league, this was my fourth season, so, you know, I've, I had a good taste of it as an assistant, you know, Know it's just expected. Players come into this league knowing that's how it goes, uh, but they still—it's still difficult when someone comes, gets assigned, or someone gets called up, and then the, the rotation uh, shuffle. Uh, yeah, that's the biggest—you know—to me, that's the biggest uh, challenge you have with a feeling team. And something I. People have mentioned to me when I've asked them about the the charges. Mike Gainsey's roster philosophy is to get guys that care, that that give a damn, that want to be there, uh, that are there to just kind of work. Is that accurate? Is that an accurate assessment of how he builds a roster? And and if that's true, does that help kind of in with the kind of the ebbs and flows of a D league of a D league season? Oh yeah, I mean Mike Mike's top of the top, and he he was rewarded this year. I think it should be his award every year is, you know, executive of the year, GM of the year. Um, And that's what he does. He brings in good people first and foremost, and and that makes, you know, working, it makes it fun going to work every day when you have good people. And uh, when you start with that, the chemistry just builds from there. Right. And when you, when you, I mean, not the last thing I 
I'm curious about this. When you do lose a guy like Quinn, for you as a coach, what is that adjustment like? Like, how do you you can convey that to the locker room? How do you adjust your strategy? What is that when you lose a piece like that, or you know, a felder comes down? What? How do you adjust kind of on the fly there? Um. way I say it, it's your job, so mm-hmm. you're coming in or you're going out, like, you have to be ready at all times, because in this game, like you're saying, it was a phone call and an hour before the game, it gets called up, you have to be ready at all times, which in this league, it, it should, in my mind, it should be easy, because you're on an audition for the for the NBA nightly. Felder, he's, I mean, I think 12, 13 games you guys played in the playoffs. What did you make of, of him as a player, and where do you think he most improved during his time with the Charge? Um, he came down, and he just, you know, for me, being in Cleveland and being around all those pros, which it seems like the world championship, James, you come down with a, a different edge, a different expectation. When you're around that culture, uh, you know, you just come down and, and you bring a different energy, a different motor. Um, and it rubbed off on all our guys. So when he showed up, you know, it just felt like everybody raised their level a bit. Um, and the biggest thing with him that I saw him improve with was just getting, trying to get his teammates involved. Like, I think the first couple games he came down, and, you know, he thought it was going to be, you know, just go get baskets, get buckets, and, uh, and just run up and down. And I, I could see the change in him. Um, you know, the longer he was with us, you know, he, he incorporated everybody, trying to get everybody involved and on the same page um, and ran the team well. And then the other guy from Cleveland that spent time with you guys this year is Larry Sanders. And that's, of course, a very complicated situation. Um, and I was there for his debut, but what did you make of him – and how did he kind of approach that process? And how and how do you think he performed at the D League level? Uh, well, he came with the expectation that it was going to be a long road for him to get back to the level of play uh, he he was at before he took the hiatus. Um, so he didn't really come with an expectation that he's going to come down and, and and just start dominating or play thirty minutes a night. So. He knew it was going to be, um, you know, a long, slow process. And you could see, I mean, he wasn't with us long, but you could see his progression uh, from each game. He just kept improving and getting better. Uh, And the biggest thing with him is, you know, he played at a high level. So his length and his his just knowledge of the game was – and the other two guys that uh, I thought kind of were really important for you guys were John Holland and Eric Moreland, both received some recognition. Um, and Holland, I think, is on the Celtics playoff roster, if I'm not mistaken. But what kind of impact do you think they had on your guys' season this year? And 
And what do you think? I mean, and they might be back with next with you guys next year. They might not be, but I mean, what can you say for a team that might be interested in and in, in, in signing them to an NBA deal? Yeah, Holland should be in the NBA. Um, you know, day in and day out, he's a pro. Uh, he always impacts the game, and that's why he was awarded that award. Um, he plays both ends of the floor. He plays hard. He's very skilled. So he's he's an NBA player. So we were blessed to have him the whole year because, in my mind, he should have been up playing there. Eric, uh, coming off injuries, you know, he hadn't really played a full season in probably over three years. Uh, so, you know, it took him a little bit to get going toward the beginning. We broke him, tried to break him in slowly, but once he got on the floor and got his minutes, like, he was our anchor on the back line for defense, like, he was unbelievable in some games, rebounding and, and just uh, affecting shots and protecting the rim for us. And again, he's a, he's very talented. Like he's an NBA talent, so um, they won't that if he makes a roster for next season. Yeah, one of the other, I mean, the other D League guy that I thought made an impact on as a rim protector was Tavares, you mentioned at the beginning, and the Cavs, of course, signed him and, you know, didn't sign a Moreland or, or keep Sanders. Um, what, uh, as someone who coached against Tavares and, and dealt with him when he played for the Raptors, for Raptors 905, what what makes him, what made him such a good rim protector this year, and what, what for you stood out about him? Uh, just, I mean, you know, obvious thing is his size, um, but the way he could move, um, at that size was was impressive, um, and you know he's he's an intelligent guy uh, and, and just a good teammate. I know he was with us uh, the previous season here in camp for a few games, and mm-hmm. you know right. he was just, just a great guy to be around, great teammate. Um, so yeah, I think you know, that's the biggest thing. Like he's just and he's young, so you know there's a high ceiling for him. Just getting better and better each season. Sackhouse in Toronto did a great job, you know, using them in, in the perfect situations for them. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's a a, big, a sort of big speed difference in, in gameplay between the NBA and the D League? Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a difference. Um, that's why you know size and speed. That's a small percentage that make it to the next level. Yeah. Um, so I mean, when you're and, and just the last thing I have is for in well, last second last thing, when you're coaching a guy like a like a cook or like a, a felder that's down there, or even just a a guy like that's just on the near the end of your roster, um, what is I mean, are you, is it partially you're you're obviously focusing on winning for your team, but how much are you also trying to develop them so they they can get a shot, whether that's to go overseas again or to uh, maybe get a shot with an NBA team. Yeah, I mean, that's the balance, and uh, it's a big balance, and we try and do a lot of development work in practice, and then hopefully they can showcase that in the games. Um, so, so, just like any, you know, any team, you, you're just, you're hoping these guys buy into what your team philosophy is, and then work together, and then, you know, they're, they're talented, and, you 
you know, they should be able to showcase it. So when you're coaching somebody like that, you just try and put them in positions where you know they can be successful and, and hopefully you just let them go and, and, and help them find their strengths. So the last thing I have is just sort of a more trivial thing. For you, you're done with the season now. The D-League season's all wrapped up. What's the summer off for you like? What do you what do you have planned? I mean, are you going to – do you get away from coaching? What, do, what does the summer off for you look like? Uh, there's not a whole lot of time off. I mean, right now I'm spending a lot of time with my, my wife and son and family. Uh, and then I'll be going to like a mini camp for uh, elite D-League players and week or so, and then NBA Summer League is in July, and then uh, August, September, I'll spend with the British national team. We're playing in the European Championships uh, this summer, so I'll be, this will be my season closing with them. What, what, is, uh, what is it like going going working with the, the English team? Is it is it very different, and what is their sort of level of basketball at right now? Uh, the British team or the European? Yeah. The, well, the British, because um, I know there's, there's obviously a lot of the very developed countries' national yeah. teams over in Europe. Uh, I mean, the British national team, um, it's been a, it's been a, a, a climb. And, you know, they established themselves in 2006 again. Um, this will be the fourth European Championships that we've been in since then, so, and one Olympics. So we're... I, you know, I kind of use the analogy of a mid-major mm-hmm. uh, college. So you're, we're not at that big boy level where we're, we're fighting for medals um, yet, but there's always a chance. And there's always, you know, you always have that opportunity, and we're, and we're in, you know, the top competition this summer, and we're hoping, you know, the thing is you can try not to, some of the bigger countries often we were alive in a tournament. 